You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Esther took a big risk. She really, really took a big risk. We don't realize how big of a risk it was for Esther to step out into the king's view. It was an extreme. Esther was helpless. Her fate now was completely in the hands of the king. He raises the scepter. When he raised the scepter, it showed mercy and grace. She steps forward and accepts His grace here. As a Christian, have you ever felt unsure if God is with you? Have you ever been in a difficult situation where you felt abandoned? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that you need to trust in God no matter what because He will never leave you. When you step out in faith, God is always by your side. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Setup. Esther chapter 5. I've entitled this The Setup. I've entitled it The Setup. Uh, Esther is doing some moving. She's doing some things that she's arranging so that she can be intercessor for her people, the Jews. You remember that we heard Mordecai say what is considered the most famous phrase from the book of Esther. And that is Esther 4.14. He says this to, to Esther... For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I just love that phrase, for such a time as this. You're here for such a time as this. We were all born For such a time as this. We're living in this time that God has designed for us. And it's a beautiful thing. Remember, Mordecai has asked Queen Esther to stand in the gap for her people, the Jews. He has asked her to go before the king and try to stop the massacre of the Jews that Haman and his gang, along with the king, have come up with a plan to exterminate all the Jews some 11 or 12 months from this time period. When he did this, he put Esther's life in danger. She had to lay her life on the line so that others might live. This had to be a completely other-centered thing. You know, we like to think of ourselves as others-centered, meaning Worrying about each other's. I mean, Paul tells us to not only worry about our own interests, but look out for the interests of each other. And as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to watch out for each other. We need to care for each other because we need each other. And we are one, one body, the body of Christ. And we therefore need to look out for one another and be on each other's side. 
We don't need to be ripping each other apart and tearing each other apart and talking about each other. We need to be loving each other. Christ said, love one another the way I have loved you. The way I have loved you. And that's the caveat. How has Christ loved us? Unconditionally. Unconditionally by dying on a cross. So greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friend. And then Jesus turned around and said, you can call me friend. You can call me friend. So we have that command. We have that before us that we need to take to the next degree. We need to love each other because what people need to see, what we need to see is Jesus with flesh on him. We need to be Jesus to somebody else. We need to be Jesus to each other in our time of need, in our time of trouble, in our time of, of, of woe. We need to be that for one another. And that's what a family does. That's what we do as a family in Christ, as the body of Christ. Mordecai put Esther's life on the line. If she goes before the king without an invitation, she stands the risk of being executed because nobody comes to the king unless he bids them to come. If she doesn't go before the king, all the Jews in the kingdom, including her, will be executed. So we left our teaching with Esther asking Mordecai to gather all the Jews together and fast for three days while she prepared to go to the king. If you know me well enough, you know that certain things take me off a different path and I get stuck on various things. And I was stuck on this third day. Through the Bible, some 70 some odd times, it says on the third day. And this is a very, very important thing to the Jews. It was very, very important to the Jews. It's associated with a transitional moment. In some cases, it is the release from the realms of death. And in other cases, it's the emergence of new life, like Jesus' resurrection on the third day. There's no particular reason other than the fact that it's important why Jesus rose on that third day. He was fulfilling scripture. He was fulfilling the things that were on his agenda. It's a special day on which God creates new life and activates his covenant with his people. So every time you hear on that third day, your, your antenna should go up and listen to what's happening on that third day. Esther wants them to fast for three days. Fast for three days. Again, remember, no mention of prayer. No mention of prayer. This was almost like a works-oriented thing. They weren't praying. They were fasting. And I love, I love Esther's final words to Mordecai, if I perish, I perish. Wow. Was Esther now relying on the sovereignty of God? We don't know. It seems like it. It seems like Esther is now yielding to God's divine purpose in her life. It seems like Esther realized what God was doing, how she got there, where she was, his providential hand on everything that she did. And now she's realizing this and saying, hey, wait a minute, I need to do this. And you know what? If I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. You know, sometimes we get too concerned with our own lives instead of being other centered. We don't take the risk of ministering to people in the world who are desperate and dying without Jesus Christ. Our fears influence us, and we we could have, and we miss for such a time as this. I mean, maybe you walk into that Wawa tomorrow morning for such a time as this to share the gospel with somebody, just by saying hello to them and loving them and opening the door for them or carrying something or talking to them. 
You might miss such a time as that. God has placed us in a strategic position. He's placed us in a strategic position so that we can bring forth salvation to others. We don't save anybody. We don't save a soul. But we can offer them the same thing that was offered to us, and that's salvation through Jesus Christ by the cross. So we have that ability. God, for some reason, wants to use us. He wants us to go out and, and, and make disciples, Jesus said. He's given us that authority to do those things. We need to take courage. We need to step out in faith and accept God's challenge. This is what Esther's doing right now. Although she doesn't relate it to God. Remember, no mention of God in this book whatsoever. But you can see God's hand all over it. You can see the hand of the Lord everywhere within this incredible read. So as we come to chapter 5, Esther decides to come up with a plan. And she goes before the king to present her plan. Let's read verse 1. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Now you remember when Esther went to the king the first time? She didn't get all jazzed up. She didn't get all dolled up and stuff because she was naturally beautiful. She was naturally beautiful. But this time, she decks herself out. That's what it means by putting on the royal robe. She had that bad boy on and she was strutting herself back and forth so that the king would recognize her. These are royal colors. They're royal jewelry. And she really looks smart doing this. Needless to say, she was utterly gorgeous. And here's the picture. Here's, here's the picture as I see it. The king is sitting upon his royal throne, probably conducting affairs of the state as kings do, you know. And he's sitting there in all his wriggleness and all his royalty, you know. He's surrounded by attendants and they're all dressed in their finest clothes because, after all, they're in the king's presence. And somewhere behind a pillar, somewhere out in the distance behind the pillar, out steps beautiful Queen Esther in his view. He gets to look down the corridor and he sees his beautiful wife, Queen Esther now, steps out so that he can see her. Look what happens, verse 2. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. King Held out the scepter. Now remember, back when she was talking to Mordecai, no one comes to the king without being called. You To be called, the king must put out his scepter to you, and then you must have touched the scepter to accept his calling, and then you can come near to him. If you come near to him without being called, you usually end up dead. You usually end up dead. But this is right out of a Broadway play. Come on. This is great. All eyes are on King Xerxes, you know, and they're all looking at them. Everybody's wondering what he's going to do. And here she comes and all her royalty and all her gorgeousness. She steps out behind the door. Ta-da! <laughs> I, I, I think it's a great picture. It's a beautiful picture. I mean, come on. You, gotta, uh, you, know, you have to know where my mind is. Yeah, my mind's crazy. If the king holds out the scepter, it means life. The king holds out the scepter, it means life. If he doesn't hold it out, it means death. Esther took a big risk. 
She really, really took a big risk. We don't realize how big of a risk it was for Esther to step out into the king's view. It was an extreme. Esther was helpless. Her fate now was completely in the hands of the king. He raises a scepter. When he raised the scepter, it showed mercy and grace. She steps forward and accepts his grace here. And there are some great spiritual lessons here, folks. Some really, really great spiritual lessons. We have a king. His name is Jesus Christ. He is also our high priest. He is also our savior. And he is bound by a greater law than the law of the Medes and Persians. What, remember the law of the Medes and Persians was irrevocable? It was irrevocable. That law that was made was irrevocable. Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin are death. The Lord told Adam and Eve the same thing in the garden, but they didn't listen. As a result, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And just like the law and the Medes of Persians, this is the irrevocable law. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, the wages of sin is death. It's irrevocable. It's God's law. Period. You can't get around it. It's God's law. It hasn't been altered in any way, shape, or form. But the good news is, it's been paid in full. The debt that we've owed for our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ dying on a cruel Roman cross. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. He died so we wouldn't have to. He died in our place. His death appeased God's law. That is what propitiation means. Appeasement. His death on the cross appeased God's law. So Jesus dying for us appeased God's law. And through him, we now have salvation. And he holds the scepter of grace. He holds the scepter of mercy out to us and invites us to come to him, doesn't he? Just like this king holding out the scepter of peace and grace and mercy to Esther. And what did Esther have to do? She had to walk over and touch it, didn't she? Well, when Jesus holds out his hand of grace, his hand of mercy to us through the cross, what do we have to do? We have to do something too, don't we? We've got to accept it. We've got to accept it just like Esther had to come and accept this. We have to enter in, not into his wrath. Not into his wrath because we've been saved from that wrath by his death. We entered into his courts with grace and mercy and love. What a beautiful picture we have here. It's a gorgeous picture. But like Queen Esther, in order to receive the mercy and grace, we must reach out and take it. It's, not, it's given to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is offered to everyone in the entire world. What do they have to do? They have to reach out and touch it by faith and believe to get it, just like you and I had to do. Esther does this. Esther takes the king's scepter, touches it. She reaches out and accepts the king's grace. This is a beautiful picture here, folks. I hope you're getting this analogy that I'm trying to show you. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of how we came to faith in Jesus Christ, how we came to him. The cross becomes the scepter of grace. The cross becomes that beautiful scepter that is held up to us that we need to accept. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? 
What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. The king is astute enough to know that Queen Esther would not take the risk over something petty. He knows that this is something very, very big or else the queen would not have taken the risk. I'm sure she was frightened. I'm sure she was trembling. I'm sure she was greatly distressed. But notice one thing. Did you notice one thing in verse 4? Can anybody look at verse 4 and tell me what you've noticed? Something about the banquet. It shows her great faith. She's been prepared. Which means she's already prepared it. You see what I'm trying to say? She had enough faith to prepare this banquet. It's past tense. She's already did it. She's already done it. What kind of language is that? She's already done it. It's already been accomplished. She did it by faith. She did it by faith. I remember one time, back in the day in Ocean City, we had this guy come around who did some music, and we were putting him up at the promenade on the boardwalk in Ocean City. And I was talking to him. He said, I didn't know how I was going to get here. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know until the last minute that I was even coming. I mean, I would even go. I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I just packed my my bags. I packed my bags and got ready. See, he prepared to travel. He prepared to go. It's like, like the story in the Facing the Giants. Prepared for rain. They prepared for rain. Instead of waiting for it to rain, they prepared because it was going to rain. They put the, the uh, vegetables in the ground and things like that. They prepared. She prepared. So she trusted. She's trusting in somebody. We're hoping it's the Lord. It says, I have prepared. It's a past thing. The banquet was prepared. Esther planned it all out. She wasn't just biding her time, waiting. She wasn't halting or worried about it when it came to executing the plan. She conceived this plan, and she fasted to the unmentioned God. She fasted to the unmentioned God. She took care of her waffling back and forth in verse four, chapter 4. Remember, in chapter 4, she was like, she didn't want to do it. She kept on coming up with excuses and why she can't and all those kind of things. If she perishes, she perishes. That's her thought. Her resolve is, hey, if I die, I die. I'm going to die anyhow if something doesn't happen. She's putting everything into action. See, faith without works is dead. That's what I'm getting out of this. If we don't step out in our faith and put our faith into action, it's nothing. Faith without works is dead. We got to move on ourselves. We rest, we hope, we pray, we read, we study, and then we need to move out. We need to step out and let God do the work. There's a lot of doors that he's going to open out there, but if we never even try to open the door, how are we going to know what door is he going to open? God is wanting to use us in a most special way. How do we know what he wants to do? If we, sometimes we're so afraid to even open our mouth. And he doesn't, we don't know what he could do if we would just step out in faith. But this is Esther's resolve. She has a plan. She's putting into action. And all the pieces are falling together. Why? Why? Because God's in control. <laughs> because God is in control. And he has everything set up, of course. Where God guides, he provides. Yes, that's our step. Where God guides, he provides. God is obviously guiding her. God is obviously guiding her. And she's doing all this on her own. This is fun for me to watch. I loved it. I love to see when a plan comes together. 
And just notice one other thing in this verse. Esther had the banquet all prepared. She knew full well that she might die at the king's hand, but she went ahead and made her plans and executed them anyway. Her attitude is the heart of like James in the New Testament. If the Lord's will, we will live and also do this or do that. That's what James says. The king, being astute, he picked up on it. In an effort to reassure his love for her, he offered her anything she wanted up to half the kingdom. He made this publicly. This wasn't some idle thing that he said off to the side. He makes it in front of all his attendants, all his people, and all these things. Interesting. When I read this, I immediately went to someone else who made a statement like this. Does anybody know in Scripture who made a statement like this? Herod, one of the Herods, had John the Baptist locked up, right? So his stepdaughter danced for him, and he was so happy with the dance that she did. What did he say? I'll give you anything you want, up to what? Half the kingdom. What did she want? She wanted the head of John the Baptist. And he didn't want to give it to her, but because he made that proclamation out in front of anybody to save face, he had to go and have John the Baptist beheaded. So here, the king doesn't know what she's going to ask for. I wonder what he would do if she said, I want half the kingdom. I wonder what he would do. I don't know. But the setup now begins. This intricate plot that Esther is weaving. She doesn't reveal her heart completely, but she invites the king and Haman to a banquet. Notice, she invites Haman to the banquet. To the king's credit, he didn't make her reveal everything right there. He accepted the invitation. You know, Jesus is pretty astute, too. He knows when a genuine seeker comes to him. He knows when someone's heart is towards him that comes to him. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who come to him and diligently. He knows that when you come to Jesus, there's a deeper problem. A problem that brought you seeking. The greater problem in our life is sin and separation from God. And when you realize that in your heart, you go to him. And you pour your heart out upon him. Revelation 3, verses 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The king accepted the invitation. Very wise. Look at 5 and 6. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Again, past tense, she already prepared it. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. The king's really throwing it out there. He's really given her a chance to really become quite wealthy. But she has other things in mind. Haman is the prime minister. He's the prime minister of the kingdom. But when the queen made the request, he was ordered to comply. You don't turn down the queen at the king's request. When the king comes, you say, hey, we're going to dinner at my house tonight. Be there. You don't say, I got other plans. You don't do that kind of stuff. You go. You go. Interestingly, the king and Haman think that they're in charge of the entire situation, especially Haman. Haman thinks everything's under control. I'm good here. I got a decree that all these Jews are going to die 12 months from now. 
I'm in control of this whole situation and nothing's going to stop me now. You are In the book of Esther, the stage is set for a grand story of redemption and bravery. The picture looks bleak, and then it looks even worse, until God flips the story on its head and we begin to see picture by picture how God has redeemed every moment that came before. Our God is a redeeming God. Nothing in your life has gone to waste. No situation has been so bleak that God can't turn it on its head and make it new. In the case of Esther, Haman set out to destroy the Jews, but when God intervened, the Jews were given honor and riches by the people around them. Haman built a gallows for Mordecai, but then was hung on them himself. No matter what the enemy sets up against you, to trip you or to take you down, God will turn it around for your good. So if you're in the middle of the valley, do not fear. God is still with you. He's just waiting for the right moment to flip the story around. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Esther in this incredible series. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Dave, head on over to our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find archived messages on many different topics and books of the Bible. Once again, that website was assurehoperadio.com, and you don't have to miss a single message. Follow the links to more live teachings on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for being here today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time, and we hope you will too. Pastor Dave has more to share on A Sure Hope.